welcome to the year 2021. And uh, I want you to remember that beginning next week, this is a big week for us, January 10th, Bulls already reminded you, but we will carefully begin to add some more in-person offerings. And we're very excited about that. We'll have adult classes and children's classes and youth classes, kids praise during worship. It's very exciting to get to add these things. And so uh, as we do, let me again just thank you for uh, being so safe in our gatherings by distancing and wearing masks while we're together and just keeping our gatherings as touchless as possible. That goes against everything in me, first of all, but it also kind of goes against everything Christian to be so touchless. You know, Jesus touched people, even the hard-to-touch people, even the people ceremonial he wasn't supposed to touch, he touched. And so we are just having to depend on God through his Holy Spirit to have us touch each other in that spiritual sort of way. So thank you for doing all that, especially as we add some other in-person gatherings. We want to double down on those. 2020 is over, but the virus doesn't know that yet. We're hoping that it falls in line soon and quickly. But we are not going to wait to attempt to keep moving forward. And that, in a very practical and real way, begins next week uh, in a formal way for us on, on the 10th of January. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we enter into this year. I want to talk to you about a need that I believe every single one of you has. And that's the need to move forward spiritually, to seriously take ground to seriously take ground in your spiritual life and your spiritual health. And for some of you, at least, that need comes, whether you're aware of that need or not, that need comes with a corresponding tendency to wait. Let's just wait. Let's wait for all kinds of things. Wait for something. We've had the ultimate reason to wait, haven't we? All year, we have had the ultimate reason to wait on pretty much anything we want to wait on. We can hide behind the smokescreen of COVID, but we need to stop in the area of our spiritual health, our spiritual growth, and our relationship with God. It's the most important thing. Now, not all waiting is bad. Of course we know that. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Not all waiting is what, what we call bad waiting is procrastination. That's what we call it. We have a name for it. And procrastination is not healthy. It's not good. But not all waiting is that. Waiting for the light to turn green before you go at an intersection is good waiting. That's good. That's right. That's wise even. Waiting for the best time to do something is often good and right. Just last week, we talked about God introduces himself to us as a God of timing. And so there is timing on lots of things. Even theologically, we can appreciate and, uh, that there is an appropriate concept of waiting and a practice of waiting. We even have a popular song, Those Who Wait Upon the Lord, and all of the good things that, that come from that. So that, not all waiting is bad. And on the flip side, not all action-taking is good, right? Not, not all... Uh, action taking is right. There's a fine line between being a get her done, let's do it type of person and being impatient, for example. 
There is an equally fine line between identifying as a, I'm a person of action, you know, we can take pride in that, and being what we call impetuous. Impetuous is the $5 word for just being hasty in a rash sort of way, or being impulsive, which just means being controlled by how I feel. And, and so there is some action taking that is not healthy. There's also a kind of action-oriented person that is getting tons done all the time. They are busy all the time, and they use that as their smoke screen for their own form of procrastination about the most important things, right? That, they, they can be, I mean, we hide behind the, I don't have time for that. And when that is applied to the most important things, that is also lazy, even for the busy person, even for the person that's spending all their energy. When they're spending it all on lesser things, that's not wise. That's not what we're after. So that's what I want to want, launch into this year with, a reminder to us as a fellowship of Christ followers of the most important thing. You know what it is? It's your relationship and walk with God. Just sit with that for a minute. With all that's gone on this last year, has that gone down the priority list? It's the most important thing. And so we have this corresponding tendency to wait. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. It's not all because we're just lazy. I think we are opposed. I think there is something that works against in our flesh, yes, but also in the world, for sure, and even supernaturally, we are opposed in investing in the most important thing, and that's our relationship and walk with God. There's a verse in the Bible that I was led to this week. I feel like that I don't read to you out loud a whole lot. I don't read this verse. It's, there's nothing particularly wrong with this verse at all, but the language that Paul uses in this verse, I'm a little bit scared of how our 21st century ears hear it. It sounds like Paul is describing, it's true, of course. It's in Scripture and it's true. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it sounds to our 21st century ears, it's describing Christianity in a way that makes it sound like just this dull thing. This dull obligation that we have rather than this life-giving, spirit-inflaming, heart-fulfilling abundance. And, and you know, I, I don't think Christianity is anything like that dull obligation. And anyone who says otherwise, and anything that leads you to think otherwise, I'm very averse to that. So now that I've said that out loud, I am going to read you the verse. Because there is truth in it, but I want you to be aware that you might... Lean back on the inside with your 21st century ears, because that's what we all have. And it might sound dull and unexciting rather than life-giving. And here it is. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You feel it? I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I do. When I when I read this, just pick it apart a little bit. When it says you are not your own, that can sound like a prison, right? I'm not my own. I'm not my own man. I'm not my own woman. I I, I don't have freedom. I, it sounds like a prison rather than freedom. 
That's what it sounds like. And then it says you were bought at a price. To our 21st century years, I was purchased. So my rights are gone. That can sound more like slavery to us than a ransom from slavery that sets us free, which is what it actually is. But it doesn't sound like that if we aren't being intentional, if we aren't using our ears to hear, like Jesus says. When it says, therefore, honor God with your body, that easily can sound restrictive. And like unnatural restraint, right? I need to honor God with, with my body, with what I am, rather than release you into this purpose-filling, passionate way of life, which is what it actually is. So don't read that verse this way. Right, read it the way it's intended. Now, the verse you hear me quote all the time that I still think even in our 21st century years, it sounds right. It sounds accurate. It stirs the spirit. You hear me quote it all the time. comes out of the mouth of Jesus. It's in John 10.10 where he says, he's explaining why he came from heaven to earth. He's, he's summing up his whole purpose, his whole reason. And he has you in mind. And he says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now we're talking. This is why I repeat it so much. This is where I start whenever I'm sharing Christ with anyone, you or otherwise. The first person who's never heard of him in the Philippines or India to the person who has been entrenched in Christianity all their life, this is where I start. Because if we don't get this, that he is for you, He's behind you. He's providing for you what he knows your heart wants and needs and and breathes life into it. That's why Jesus came. He came so that we might have life. Now, I think these verses say the same thing. They're not in contradiction at all. I think Jesus is saying why he's come, and then Paul is following up with how he accomplished that and what our response to that should be if we want to maximize what he's done. That's what I think's happening here. Do you see where, where, where Jesus says, I've come that they might have life, and then he goes on to explain how he did it by saying, I'm sorry, I've lost my verse. I had it in my memory. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. That's what he did to provide the environment for you to have this life. He purchased you. You belong to him rather than to your addictions or to your job or to the ways of this world or to yourself or your own wounds. You don't belong to those things anymore. You belong to him. And then Paul says, now here's what you do if you want to maximize what he's provided for you. You honor God with your body. In other words, with all that you are, with all that you are, with all that you have, with everything you have been given stewardship of by, by being born into that body, your energy, your time, your creativity, with all that you are, prioritize God and you won't waste your life on lesser things or cheap imitations of life. That's what he's saying. If you want to enjoy what he came and purchased for you and purchased you for, then pour it all out to honor him. You will never regret that. You will never regret that because it will breathe life into you. I don't know if you remember way back in our Bible project last year in the book of Exodus, 
You might remember that God sent Moses and his brother Aaron to Egypt to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery. And that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at the time, wouldn't do it. So that began a series of convincers, okay, known as the ten plagues. And I think it was the second plague that was the frogs, all right? So an interesting thing happens in this plague that I, did, I didn't notice the first time we went through last year. So there's frogs everywhere. They're outside, they're inside, they're in the kitchen, they're in the bathroom, they're in the bed, they're, they're everywhere. You cannot escape the frogs. They, they are everywhere. And so wisely, here's what Pharaoh says in Exodus 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and says, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. This sounds really smart and practical of him, doesn't it? I mean, this, this is a no-brainer. Pharaoh wants the horrible things to end. And in this case, it's frogs. And so he's going to do the right thing. He's going to prioritize the right thing, what God's calling him to do. Let the people go. Let him go worship God. And so he says, I'll do it. So here's the interesting thing that happens on this plague. Moses says to Pharaoh, says, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray that you may be rid of the frogs. That, why did he do this? Why did he leave it to Pharaoh? Why didn't he just respond with, yes, great, deal. Let me pray to him. But, but he doesn't. So here's the interesting thing. It gets more interesting because He's saying, look, great, that's great, Pharaoh. Very smart, very practical, very pragmatic, very wise. To align your life with God's will that will take away the bad and will bring in the good. That's what will happen. Now, when I pray to God for the frogs to go away, they'll be gone. When would you like me to do that prayer? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. You heard me right. Tomorrow? why why wait till tomorrow Joyce Myers who pointed me to this and she said what form of stupid would say you know what give me one more day with these frogs just one more day I mean I I give you the honor of choosing when death goes away and life comes rushing in I give you the honor of cooperating with God and deciding when and you say tomorrow not yet I mean this is stupid. And it's right here, right at the beginning of our Bible. Tomorrow. I want everything to be better, but, you know, maybe tomorrow. I, I want to do the right thing. Maybe the, tomorrow. Tomorrow. I want the consequences, the negative things to go away, but not today. I, wa- I want that to happen tomorrow. I want to make a way for life to the fullest to come rushing in, but since you're giving me the honor of dictating when, tomorrow. Tomorrow. So what am I talking about specifically for us when I say I want you to stop waiting on your spiritual life? I want to encourage you to stop waiting in three imperative, mandatory areas for the Christian. First is your connection to God. It's been trying to happen for some of you for a long time. You've never really connected to God. Not really. But it's been trying for a long time. He's been knocking. He's been speaking. He's been loving you. He's been wooing you. You can look back and you can see he's never not inviting, but you wait. I've got some great 
really defendable reasons to wait to begin your relationship with God, but you put it off. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Then for some of you, you're connected to God. You've met him. You're committed to him. But you're not growing in him. And so for some of you, that's been trying to happen for a really long time. For you to give more of yourself to him, for him to give more of himself to you, for you to become living transformation more into the image of Christ, where the old man continues to die and the new man continues to resurrect, but you wait. You wait, and you've got some great, really reasonable reasons. And you put it off, maybe tomorrow. And then for others of you, you're connected to God. You've even got a really pretty healthy, growing life. You are, like, inwardly just changing. You're transforming. But it's been ha- trying to happen for a long time. He wants you to turn from yourself to others. And to serve them, to to really start serving God by loving others, by participating with him in some kingdom-explained activity. What I mean by that is the only thing that explains why you're doing this thing is because you believe you're part of the kingdom and you're engaged in the mission of God with God. And it's time for you to do that in service to others and in service to the world. But you wait. You wait. You've got some really great, reasonable, defendable reasons, some other priorities that you just kind of need to get out of the way first. And so you you look at that life-giving offer, and it gives you the honor of naming the time when life can come rushing in at greater scope. And you say, tomorrow. Tomorrow, like Pharaoh. So for the next six weeks, the leadership's been really excited about this for a long time. And, and we've promised you this. We gave you a little prelude to it a few months ago. But for the next six weeks, we're going to be uh, kicking off our year by diving a little bit deeper into our new vision statement. As a church family at Southwest, we want to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. That's what we want to become. And this isn't a new vision, but it is new wording and hopefully better, more engageable wording and way of saying it. But we won't just be talking about it. We're not saying it just so that you can sit there and hear it again in a new way. We're inviting you to do what Paul said, to honor God with all that you are, to engage a little bit more at whatever place you're at connecting with him for the first time, growing with him continually, or serving him by advancing his mission. That's what we're going to be calling you to. And we want you to not just hear it. We want you to figure out how to live it because we think and believe that this is the most important thing. We want you to give your life to it. You know, when COVID hit us last March and and our church family halted, halted everything that you were accustomed to depending on for your connecting and your growing and your going, it understandably disoriented us, okay? That, that's understandable. We don't need to be ashamed of it if our discipleship froze. We don't need to be ashamed of it if our growth in Christ was, was stunted. 
We don't need to be ashamed of it if, if our service to the kingdom disappeared or we just didn't give another thought to it. But it has been long enough, hasn't it? It's been long enough. And I don't want you to see it as some sort of scolding. I want you to see it as like, we've punished ourselves enough. We've punished ourselves enough by not engaging in our discipleship. And while 2021 does hold some promise with the vaccinations and other things and just all the learning we've done over the last year about this thing, it holds some promise that things might start returning to some more familiar terrain. I mean, we are returning a little bit more to some familiar terrain as a church next week. And while that is allowed to encourage you and and fill you up and, and give you some hope, I want you to remember, it doesn't need to. The Christian faith is agile. It has made it through way bigger cultural changes than the one that suddenly came upon us. People have thrived in their spiritual lives. They're connecting to God. They're growing in Christ. They're advancing his kingdom with way bigger cultural changes than we experienced last year. And I'm saying that again, not as a scolding. I'm saying it as a hope-filling thing. That's right. Why don't you go, that's right. Maybe my perspective needs to change more than I need the cultural changes to change back. It's time. At least our faith is supposed to be. We have a biblical example. I didn't think about this till this week. We have a biblical example of somebody who was a seriously connected, growing, engaged in the mission disciple maker who got quarantined. And he didn't miss a beat. We might have, but he didn't. And I'm not even talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Paul. Paul, once he converted to Christ and connected to Jesus, he then started growing in Christ, took great pains to do it, and then he advanced the mission by being this traveling church planter. But then you remember he got arrested, thrown in a room where he had to stay. And he didn't have Zoom or telephones or FaceTime or Twitter. He didn't have any of that. And so his discipleship didn't miss a beat. He still stayed connected to God. He still grew more like Christ. And his ministry, he still advanced it. He wasn't a traveling church planner anymore. He was a letter writer primarily. That's what he found. And we're still benefiting from him. Not sitting in jail going, man, as soon as God gets me out of here, I'll get back to work. Man, as soon as I'm out of this little box I'm trapped in, that's when I can re-engage with God. I mean, he can't expect me to stay engaged with him when all of this has suddenly changed my whole world. No, it's not an expectation coming from him. It's a blessing that he provides. Our faith is supposed to be that agile. So we need to stop waiting to stop waiting. I want to ask our leaders to go ahead and move out. We're still doing our uh, unique deal where they go out in the hallway and outside. So if you need just a touch, a personal touch from our shepherds, our ministers, um, please just make your way to them and, and we want to help you, especially if it's in, in any sort of way of you just wanting to re-engage with God. So let me just end with this little story. So it's been great having uh, 
My two older kids are both in college, and their college made it throughout the semester, so they've been back for the holidays. and been great having them here. Anyway, in one of our many conversations that we had, uh, being together, Callie has this really rich group, friend group that she has. And one of the guys in that group, his name's Peter, and they're real tight. And so anyway, I'm just kind of getting to know them through her. And, and, uh, and, I, and this little factoid comes out that this guy, Peter, asks Callie to marry, her, marry him every day. I went, what, what? what was that? And so anyway, she's talking about how it's just kind of a fun thing and they're just great friends and you know, we'll see, but okay. All right. And so I'm watching Peter, if you're watching, I'm watching. And so, uh, but, but she said, they're just having fun and they're great friends. I, so after I, you know, took a breath, I said, well, what do you say? What do you say to that every day? She goes, I say, "Eh, maybe ask me again tomorrow. I'm like, so part of me is like grateful there's levity there and you know all that but but here's here's my point here's why I'm telling you that story for us as Christians that, that well wait the reason that's funny is because we all know marriage is not this trivial thing they're taking this really weighty thing and it's funny we giggle at that because we know it's a potentially life-changing life-altering massive thing marriage but they're just kind of making light of it in their friendship and so that's why it's funny but for us as Christians and the reason I'm telling you that story is because our connection with God our growth in Christ in Christ's likeness our joining him and advancing his mission we know it's the weightiest thing we know it's the most important thing and so to be flippant about that to ever say any form of tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. We know that's not right. Properly understood, church, waiting on the Lord, like, like the song talks about, it's a priceless practice. I highly recommend it. But church, making God wait on you to deliver to you what he purchased for you, I don't recommend it. And I'm not saying that as a warning of his wrath or punishment. I'm saying it because that is the most self-defeating thing I can think anyone could ever do. It's to say, maybe tomorrow, like Pharaoh. Give one more day with these frogs. Tomorrow. Church, we all need connection with him. We all need to grow in him. And we all get to serve him. So let's stop waiting. Let's stand and let's sing. And if we can help you in any way, please come.